time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you on the podcast. It is Monday, August 30th, 2021. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. Hope you all had a great weekend. I had a great weekend. And thanks to one of our new sponsors, SnapDocs, Amy Moses, who runs marketing there. And they just had a major sponsorship out at the CMBA at the Western Secondary. And I heard from Jennifer from the CMBA, who was at this football game. That's what I'm trying to get to. Is that we went to a football game, pregame, and watched Trevor Lawrence throw for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They did a great job. Very impressive. And, of course, they beat the Cowboys. Uh, it was a great time. Got a tour of the Cowboys Stadium. Thanks to Snap Docs. Then got out on the field. Thanks to Snap Docs. Had a great you know, corporate suite. Thanks to Snap Docs. Had a great time. So, anyway, Amy Moses is giving you a shout-out here at the top of the program. Thanks for a great weekend. And then we were talking on the program you all dialed in earlier. We get a chance to visit. And Paul King, who is our business manager for DL2 Productions, which produces this podcast, made us aware of the big announcement and a segment on CNBC where uh, UWM plans to accept cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and payment. And they're planning to do that around the third quarter of this year. So that is raising some real interesting issues. So we're going to get Alice's thoughts on that. And what does this mean? Anyway, it's good to have you with us, everybody. In the Hot Topics segment today, we pre-recorded a call with Stephen Cooley, the founder and CEO of Art Versus Math. We're going to be talking about marketing, business intelligence. Stephen's one of the top people in the industry on this topic. I'm looking forward to sharing with you that interview in the Hot Topics segment. Also, for other pre-recorded topics and podcasts, you can check out industrysyndicate.com. They do a great job of posting and help supporting and promoting a number of podcasts. So check them out there. Also want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, as well as Finastra, as well as Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative, as well as the Community Mortgage Lenders of America. Incelerate, Brandon, the group there, do a great job on helping you connect with the consumer, creating a great consumer experience. Anyway, also Knowledge Coop, as well as Mobility MMI, as well as Modix, as well as a number of other sponsors, all of which you can see on our sponsorship page on our website. Check it all out. Especially, I want to say thank you to Rob, Les, Alice, Alan, and Matt for their contributions each and every week to the podcast. Let's get over to the MBA's Mortgage Minute with Rob. What do you have for us? Hi, I'm Rob Van Rappers. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Late last week, the U.S. Supreme Court lifted the CDC ban on residential evictions in a 6-3 decision. The majority opinion said that the CDC had exceeded its authority by issuing a new evictions ban through October 3rd, earlier this month. While the court has invalidated the CDC's national eviction moratorium, some state eviction moratoriums are still in effect. 
MBA will continue to provide recommendations to improve the distribution of the $46 million in emergency rental assistance to help landlords and tenants in need. And according to MBA's latest forbearance and call volume survey, the number of loans in forbearance is 3.25%, and an estimated 1.6 million homeowners are currently in forbearance. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining Good to hear that those forbearance numbers are coming down. question is what's going to happen in the market, supply, housing supply, when this all goes away here. And can the current administration resist the temptation to extend it in some way, shape, or form? So get some more information on the insights of that, maybe from Alice later on. By the way, thank you so much, Rob Van Rampoorst, for sending that in. I love that report. appreciate our partnership with the NBA. If you are not registered for the conference, please do so immediately. That conference is filling up. The hotels are filling up around that area. And uh, it's going to be a really good annual conference in San Diego. Really looking forward to that. And also sign up to be a member of the MBA and also the Mortgage Action Alliance app. Let's get over to Les Parker. Let's get over to Les Parker with this week's TM Spotlight and a macro view of the markets along with Les's music parody. What do you have for us this week, Les? TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Jay. Coming out so stocks better get this party started. On Friday, deadpan Powell won by affirming everyone. Fed Chairman Jay Powell said that the progress on inflation justifies reducing accommodation. Still, employment, though on the right path, is not quite where the Fed wants it. So after waiting for Jay's Jackson Hole punchline, stocks see the party ending after a warning. As a result, Bonds need to stop worrying about inflation, bottlenecks, and high pay. Enjoy the punch bowl. Jay. Coming up, SoFon's better get this party started. These views are my own. Get a last call at tmspotlight.com. That's that music die off a little bit there. And if you start talking about letting the party stop, they stop the forbearance program, the forbearance program. But if they start the tapering programs, taping her out of the investments, that could have another impact on it. So lots going on, going on in the markets. Jay Powell, that was, uh, he was reasonably predictable last week up in uh, Jackson Hole. But we got Matt Graham here with an update from what is the markets and how they're reacting to all this. So Matt, what you got, friend? And this is Matt Graham with the MBS Live Market Update. Heading into last week, bond yields had flattened out and traded a very narrow, very boring range, the narrowest trading range for any given week in quite a while. The order of business was decidedly Fed Chair Powell's Jackson Hole speech on Friday afternoon. Notably, it wasn't in Jackson Hole. It was virtual this time around, but markets were looking forward to hearing what he had to say because many other Fed speakers have been uh, talking quite a bit about tapering and the tapering timeline and the fact that they want to start right away. And last we heard from Powell was at the late July press conference following the Fed announcement. And he had a pretty balanced approach saying that, yes, there's progress on employment, but we haven't quite met the substantial further progress benchmark, which is what the Fed wants to see before they announce tapering. Then with Delta variant and additional COVID cases throughout the month of August, it was a fair question. Uh, would Powell be a little bit more dovish on rates in light of the pandemic developments? And that was essentially the case. He came out and said, 
that, yes, we have had substantial further progress as far as inflation is concerned. And he even went so far as to say that at the July meeting, he thought it could be appropriate to start tapering this year. But in the very next sentence, although he did acknowledge there had been more progress on the employment front, he was careful to qualify that by saying there was further spread of the Delta variant, and that complicates the outlook going forward. In other words, if we were just making a decision based on inflation, we're definitely there in terms of tapering. But if we are measuring it in terms of substantial further improvement in employment, A, we're not quite there yet, and B, we are concerned about the Delta variant. We also know that the Fed has paid particular attention to the month of September and the reopening of schools, not only because of Delta variant concerns, but also due to employment considerations surrounding parents that may have been waiting for schools to start back up before returning to work after an extended COVID-inspired break. And uh, if those jobs numbers do indeed a big impact from that, that's not going to be something that even comes through in the data until next month at the earliest, October. And that's why we've been talking about late 2021 being the prime time for a potential taper announcement and the fact that September was probably a little bit too early. The takeaway from Powell's speech on Friday was that September is probably too early. Bonds reacted accordingly by moving significantly lower in yield. Significant is a relative term in this case because yields really only drifted up fairly moderately throughout the week. In fact, they never broke above 1.38, and that has, in 10-year yields, by the way, that's been a bit of a technical ceiling that offered support two weeks ago as well during that Treasury auction supply week and the aftermath of the last strong jobs report. That sets us up for a range-bound week as we wait to digest the new jobs report, which will be out on Friday morning. In addition to the jobs report, we have other significant data coming up this week. Case-Shiller home prices and FHFA home prices, not huge market movers, but interesting to the mortgage market nonetheless. Those are both on Tuesday. Pending home sales already out for the week, down 1.8% versus forecasts of 0.4% increase. MBA is releasing their weekly application data, as always, on Wednesday morning, followed shortly by ADP employment. That's seen coming in at 625 versus 330 last time. 625 still isn't a huge number when it comes to repairing the damage done to the labor market by COVID. So it'll be interesting to see where that actually comes in and what the market reaction is. ISM manufacturing, same morning. It's seen staying strong at 58.7, but that would be a little bit less than the 59.5 last time around. Then on Thursday, jobless claims with us as always. Those haven't changed much from this mid-350K range. And uh, then we get NFP on Friday. It's expected to come in at 750K versus 943 last time. There's always a wide range of estimates when it comes to that data, so we wouldn't be surprised to see something closer to or even over a million. And on the negative side, it wouldn't be a surprise to see things under 300. In general, forecasting NFP has been a much taller order since the pandemic. And then after NFP, the data for the week rounds out with another important report, ISM non-manufacturing at 10 a.m., and that's seen coming in at 61.8 versus 64.1 previously. So that'd be a pretty notable drop, but 61, anything over, really 55 is solid economic growth if you ask the services sector, which is what non-manufacturing represents. Bottom line, we'll be paying attention to that range, 1.22 to 1.3 in 10-year yields, looking for a breakout before NFP. That'll be a taller order, but a breakout after NFP is more likely, and it could set the tone for the entirety of September or until the next significant development happens with respect to the pandemic. A significant development in that sense would either be a major surge in case counts and 
translation to the real economy by a, you know, schools closing down, people leaving the job again, care for their children that can't go to school, et cetera. Or on the positive side, the Delta variant cases subsiding and no major impact filtering through to the real economy. In which case, I think the Fed's tapering timeline would be accelerated and the markets would react as such preemptively before we even get to that late September meeting. That's all for now. Back with you guys next time. Hope you have a great week. Good job, Matt. Appreciate it much. Going on with the Powell announcement and then the tapering talks. So where does this all leave us? Well, we'll get some more perspective on it throughout the week. A couple of things that I want to get into also was some of the conference recently. We had the TMBA conference this last week up in Dallas-Fort Worth area. I was, Stamp Docs was there, did a great job. But also the CMBA conference was really well attended. So I'm really stressing people are going back to conferences, folks. Someone wrote about that. And first of all, they said Stamp Docs parties were amazing. Amy and the, the team did a great, great job on, at both events. CMBA, they were, this person was at the CMBA event at the secondary, Western Secondary, and they said it was just amazing. Never heard of these growl bowls or something. That was a giveaway that they had there, so I have to learn more about that from Amy. But anyway, a lot going on in the secondaries and world and these conferences, so be sure to get signed up for MBA. Several people said I just signed up as a result of mentioned on the podcast. So glad to hear that we're prompting some of you all on. Alice, always fun to see you at these conferences. Are you going to be able to make it this year to the annual conference? Hopefully so. You know, I'm still checking on that right now with my schedule. So I uh, hope you can stay tuned on that. <laughs> we definitely want to see you out there. So Alice Alvey, what do you have as far as a report today on what's going on? in the legislative update. I think the main legislative update item I wanted to bring to everyone's attention, I feel like a little bit of water under the bridge at this point because the comment period for the HUD disparate impact rule did close last week, but we just got MBA's response to this proposal and it really did pull together some puzzle pieces that I thought were really helpful and I wanna share with our list. So for those of you who've been in this industry for a really long time, You know that our challenge has always been that for fair lending, the way it's been treated is if just through your data, a regulator could look back. So in this case, it would be the CFPB who oversees this rule. In the old days, it was HUD. And if they could look back at your data and see that particular minority were disparately impacted by any policy that you had, then you could potentially have a problem. And it wouldn't have to be that you actually had a policy in writing. It just could be the way the data rolled out. As lenders, we've always had to constantly look at our data to ensure that something we had wasn't inadvertently causing spirit impact. So that's essentially how the 2013 rule was still written, that an auditor could look at data and kind of have 2020 vision looking backwards at your lending pattern. So there was a change with the Supreme Court that came out and 2015, when the Supreme Court came on the decision that we refer to as the Communities uh, Project, because it was Department of Housing and Urban Community Affairs out of Texas versus Inclusive Communities Project. And under this, Supreme Court recognized that there really does have intention. There has to be more than just data. There has to be more put on plaintiffs to prove that the lender intentionally tried to create a disparate impact to a particular group and not just a reverse look back at data and try and kind of back into did that was there something that happened. So what's 
been going back and forth is whether or not HUD in this new proposed rule is going to just revert back to their old ways, revert back to 2013, and ignore the recent Supreme Court ruling. HUD is missed as a result of President Biden issuing a memorandum that HUD needed to go back and take a look at this. So you've heard me talk about this on our show a couple of times because HUD has been trying to align the court decision. Then President Biden came out with the order to say, take a look at this, ordering the department to take all steps necessary to examine the effects of the 2020 rule, including amending that 2013 rule. And so it's really now a conflict. In the last round of this, HUD is saying they received 45,000 comments. And so here we are again with entire industry saying this is not reasonable to go all the way back to the 13 rule. We need to keep in mind the Supreme Court decision and need to make sure there's more uh, structure around what the plaintiff needs to uh, present in a fair lending case. So more to come on this. The MBA got together with the Consumer Bankers Association, the Independent Community Bankers, and the American Bankers Association, as well as the MBA, all got together on this comment for them to make sure that we don't go back in how we're interpreting this and ignore the Supreme Court ruling. So we'll see what happens. This does have a big impact on all of us as lenders, and we want to make sure we aren't going to get caught for things that we didn't intend to have happen or get cited for things that didn't intend sure. to have happen. Maybe it's a good call for Mitch Kiter future if mm-hmm. this gets any further along the path. That's my summary for lenders today. We're still in flux over the HUD proposed rule for fair lending and more to follow. And then, Dave, I think you wanted to talk about the uh, the Bitcoin announcement. This Bitcoin news that that they featured, uh, UWM's announcement that they're going to accept them. CNBC, we just played that clip. I I would like to pay it, but I don't have permission to do that from CNBC, so I don't want to violate any copywriting laws. But Google that, folks. It's a real interesting article, and it raised some real good questions. And, Alice, you were first to ask one of the pertinent questions. Is it traded? Is it turned to cash if you make a payment in Bitcoin? Is it automatically create a taxable event, and does it get converted or do they hold on to it as a Bitcoin? And if that's transferred, what's the implications? I'd love your thoughts on it. We'll get Alan in on it in a minute. Well, you know, I don't have answers. I think I had a lot of questions came to mind, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. From what I recall in the clip, the reporter had a few of them too and said, and we reached out to the company and have not heard back, at least at the time of that recording. And that was a couple of days ago. So yeah, I think my biggest question was if I'm any company and I'm accepting the bit, how am I showing that on books, right? And am I Mm -hmm. now using that as an asset that's going to potentially continually appreciate on my book, right? right? If I'm a consumer, do I really want to give that away like that to my bank? Why wouldn't I cash it in and yeah, essentially giving an appreciable asset to my yeah. lender? I'm confused. Yeah. But this isn't something new to you because you've also had several customers you were talking about on the pre-show, and you actually have a bit of a policy and a procedure and some of this. Any insights that you can share with us? Yeah, I think we're just following the guidelines, right? So we've got Fanny and Freddie as far as acknowledging that it's out there, but you still have to liquidate it if you want to use it as funds to close. And so when we've had customers who we're taking this approach, you know, we've got to actually try and coach them into, all right, how do you document that it's actually yours? Because the whole point behind Bitcoin is no one knows whose it is. When we get it, we need it as source of funds to close. Okay, we actually have to document that who owned it. So we do have to walk customers through how to dig that out of their account statements. And there is a way that it can be done. And so that's what we were chatting about. So our lenders going to go through that as part of the process to accept. We'll see. They're going to be first in and Who knows if they'll share with us how they're actually doing it. 
Fascinating. We'll try to get a hold of Matt at uh, UWM. He's a friend, someone we know real well. So it'll be interesting. Also, I want to say this. When I was at the Lenders One conference back in Orlando a couple of weeks ago, I ran to Mary Perello, who is client relations manager with Sandler Law Group. And they also have a company that's called Assurity Technologies, and they have a risk exec product out there. And it measures based on your Humda. Chris Gray was the guy that's the vice president of business development there, was at the conference. And in his booth, he was literally, a new company would come in, would bring up their Humda data, download it all right there in the booth, live data, and then start going in and analyzing it. And very interesting. So they're not an advertiser, but I'm going to give a plug out to Mary and Chris, who we did get some time with them last week on a phone call. And we're going to have to do a demonstration of their product to better understand that. But I'm sure there's other companies out there that do that. But that one, the way they went about it was really raising some eyebrows and impressing some people there at the Lenders One conference where we all were together in Orlando a few weeks ago. So very interesting stuff. Alice, the Humda, amount of data that sits there, it just seems like one huge liability. And you got to have the tools to go in and analyze it to see what is the things that are maybe not so glaring, but that are there that your data reviews that reveals that you know know about. So I know you guys got that covered, Alice, because I know you know that real well. We do, but you're right. There are a couple of companies out there and it's something we all have to have once you get to a certain size. Yep, very much. Alice, thank you so much for being with us this week. This has been Alice Alvey. We've had on here CMB Vice President of Education Training at Union Home Mortgage. Appreciate Bill and Al lending us Alice. They do value her and we value her and I know you listeners value her. So glad that they let her come on the podcast and continue to do so. Now, over 12 years on the podcast. So exciting. Let's get over to Alan Pollack, who's here. Alan, I'd love to get your thoughts on the CNBC news. It's a featured story that they did on the television. Yeah. And they put it out here about Bitcoin. I don't know if you had a chance to go listen to that or you're aware of that. and love to get your thoughts on Bitcoin. And I know what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have issued and how to, what they're saying, but are you hearing more uses of Bitcoin and more innovation in this area? Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of folks are allowing Bitcoin to be transferred. If you remember, PayPal and Visa were working on something a couple months ago. Right, right now, David, one Bitcoin is worth $48,140.30. So what that means is for the folks that bought Bitcoin really, really long time ago, back in the day, you definitely have a, a nice asset. Ultimately, you can use Bitcoin. Some people will accept it directly. And I've been questioning myself, do they take ownership of the Bitcoin and take the current value of the Bitcoin and translate that back to you as cash? But then they get the asset of the coin and they can decide in the market what they want to do with it. Or does it get transferred immediately? Bitcoin, by the way, you've got to go through a cryptocurrency exchange. So I feel that it's being facilitated when you look at like a PayPal, as an example, that's going to allow you to convert it. They are sort of brokering or they're becoming the exchange, but there's other ways, right? There's Bitcoin ATM, there you got the exchange, there's Bitcoin debit cards, there's peer-to-peer transactions, bank transfers, there's all kinds of ways that you could convert it. So the fact that they're going to accept it, I don't know enough about it, but it clearly looks like either one, they, they've got a clearinghouse that they're working with or an exchange, or right. two, they're giving a dollar value for it. And it's something that they'll turn on or turn off based on the market. 
or they'll change the value of what it converts at, and then they'll decide whether they want to hold the asset or not. So I'm not sure what their current plan is, but clearly we'll see more of this, and it is very interesting to watch this and see it further. Well, keep us posted. You're uh, definitely a man on technology. What other things are you seeing out there that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Well, I do want to talk about tapering really, really quick. I mean, I'm scared. I watched the news all weekend, and it's like, we're going to taper, we're not going to taper. And it's kind of funny because, you know, I'm on the market myself to buy another house right now, and... What's kind of interesting is what's available in the market. A lot of people just sort of listed, right? They saw what everything else is listed at, and they said, you know what? If I'm going to get out, it's going to be right now. I'm not going to put any work into the house. It's as is, and I'm put on the market. And you're seeing homes at the same price, at least by me in North Florida, which the prices have exploded, that True. have never had an update in 20, 30 years, and homes that have had complete updates and they're the exact same price. And it's really interesting shopping this market and then how homes are going off the market because people are trying to grab them right away. And they're bouncing back on the market because they turned out they didn't have the right approval or the home inspection didn't turn up right. It's really a unique scenario. And obviously, tapering could in fact, cause rates to rise, right, from my non-expert opinion. Mm -hmm. So I'm really interested. Inventory has slowed down, we know. End of the Mm -hmm. school year, end of the year, summer is over, school year started. We're getting to the holiday months. Again, my non-expert opinion, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen. A lot of people told me to hold and wait. The technology, by the way, that's all available online that tells you home prices in your area, it tells Mm -hmm. you what the Z estimate is on Zillow. Those things are technology, right? They're, They're AI. I don't know how accurate they actually are. So it's all very interesting, but let's get into a couple of quick little tech updates, David. The first one, you know, I have to bring this up because I thought it was so cool. I was reading a bunch of information and it was about mint.com and, you know, mint.com has been around forever, right? And they do mortgage analysis and they do provide leads just like Credit Karma does. And Credit Karma is a huge source of leads in our industry. Well, this is the quote about Mint. It said, Mint.com is a juggernaut among budgeting programs. They started in 2006, and they're now considered an old-timer. It's free. It's great to learn the basics, but the new ones out there have made their features feel like you're playing with a toy. When I read that, I was like, I have to read this one more time. Just the person that wrote this feels so strongly about new technology and leveraging more modern architecture and the things that are out there. So I bring this up because it's so relatable to the technology in our industry right now. And I'm going to talk about form free in a second because of what they're doing on blockchain. Mm -hmm. But the industry, we are modernized. Even if you can't take advantage of everything everyone's putting out there today and all the things you're doing, you still have to consider how are we as a lender modernized? Is it a matter of getting off of too many other antiquated or disconnected systems? Maybe you had Salesforce, maybe you had Another system, maybe you have Google Sheets. How do you modernize? How do you not become playing with toys, as this person said about Mint.com? Next thing, David, form free. I told you I would talk about them. Yep. So they've been working with blockchain, and they just introduced an NFT. It's called Non-Fungible Token. It's right. for consumer financial identity. And this is really cool. I don't want to do it this justice. I'm going to reach out to Brent. Brent is a friend, and I'm going to ask him if he can join us and talk about this. They're doing a lot of stuff. They're in a partnership with the agencies, with MBA. Mm-hmm. They're doing a lot of really cool things. So let's get them on here. Let's talk about it. But they're doing a lot with identity management and being able to carry that token with you. And I think that's a really big deal. And a lot of you are thinking, well, what does that mean for me? Is that next year? Is it five years down the road? How does it affect my, you know, Alan, what you just said, my non-modernized system? It affects <laughs> you because someone like yeah. FormFree is directly connected with your customers, your consumers. And if your consumers are going to go to Rocket or 
use these other experiences out there, they're going to be interfacing with you. What's really, really interesting, David, and just to jump ahead on blockchain, you want to go to housingwire.com and just Google blockchain and mortgage. I can even provide the link. This article was in November. It's actually a webinar. It's Mike Cagney, which we know, Mike. It's Dan Sigorka from Sagent Lending, and it's Julian Hebron. And the three of them are on a panel talking together. It was hosted by Sagent. It's how blockchain and mortgage will get very real in 2021. If you register online, you can instantly watch. It's an hour and 10 minutes long. It is so good. Go check it out. Again, how blockchain and mortgage will get very real in 2021. And it's almost like what they talked about, especially Mike Cagney, is happening right now. And then, you know, just to jump ahead just a second, you know, I I told you last week, David, and I'm going to come back to something really cool, but I told you last week I would come ahead and talk about what has the pandemic done to our landscape, right? This is a great article I found online talking about technology. It was four articles I read, and here's what they said. COVID made us cash. I know we all use the digital chip cards, right? And you you touch Mm -hmm. them at the supermarket or at the CVS. But then when you did that at CVS, what would happen? You still had to put your code in, right? Well, now we've finally gotten to where it's truly digital. We really have become on our way to be so much more truly cashless. Brokers and originators will soon lose to digital players. That's what this person said. Rocket is reinvesting, as we heard, though, prior. And mobile is first. Consumers are not looking for the first to call anymore, which is really interesting. For the, I won't be able to make it to the yeah, hot topic, but when you talk to Stephen Cooley, listen to that again. Consumers are not looking for the first to call anymore. They now have what they need to research and compare. They are now looking to be more educated, and they're looking for a direct relationship. It also says that banks will become more digital, and the experience needs to be more personalized. That's what Farm Free is doing, right? Get your personalized data with you. Take that token everywhere you go. It's your identity. Now, I can go in all different directions like CVS. You have now have health at CVS. Well, now they want to get into therapy. They want you to be able to go to CVS, get a pack of gum, get a drink, get your photos printed, get some ibuprofen, and be able to take a therapy session. That was just announced. So we are serving consumers. We're trying to gain that audience, that admiration from them. So really just interesting, the entire landscape about what's going on and what we're doing. Um, again, check out that blockchain article. Really funny, yeah. David. I'll leave on a fun note. There's a website out there called Digit Find It. It's Digit Find, okay? So D-I-G-I-T-F-I-N-D hyphen it, I-T. And it searches old newspapers. And if you just go to Google and type Digit Find It and then space whatever you're looking for in the year, you find it. So I found an article really? from 1985. Yep, get this. It was a North New Jersey newspaper, and it was a bank. And they said, borrow from us and pay only three quarters over prime. And it has an arrow and a circle, like a button that you'd wear on your shirt, like the old days. And it says, fill out your info, cut out this button, send this coupon to Broad National Bank in North New Jersey. That's how they were doing mortgage originally. So we totally have come far away, right? That was high tech back then, the fact that Mm -hmm. they could be in a newspaper each week. The rates, by the way, at that time, even though it said three quarters over prime, I don't think that was a mortgage rate. That was for a personal loan, but mortgage rates then were 12 and a half percent. Yeah. One of my clients did it for my birthday last week, last Tuesday, did a uh, video on it. And they were talking about the price of gasoline when I was around. I was Truman was the president when I became, I was born. It was going back and made me feel really, really, but it was really hilarious. So that's Rick over at Onto Mortgage. A great sense of humor, but there's so much out there. Ah, digit fine dash. It, it.com. I'm going to definitely use that one. That's, that's a good tip. A lot of good tips today. Great information, as always. And thanks for giving a shout out to one of our sponsors and someone we are very fond of, and that's Fred Chandler over at Form Free. 
some of the things that the innovation they're bringing to the marketplace is like, you got to pay attention to it, folks. Alan, thank you for being here. Appreciate it very much. Have a great rest of your week. If you want to get you a hold too, of Alan, send him notes. Send them to alan at tms-advisors.com. Alan, be love to get your commentary. He's getting a lot of it already. And Alan, your segment is really getting popular, more and more popular, some of the updates of what's going on here. So I'm sure this will be too. Digitfind-it.com. Look in them. Use that one here right after I hang up here. Folks, that wraps up this weekly mortgage update. Next week, we're going to have another good friend on, Tony Kaiko of Infinity Five. Tony does a brilliant job of finding the right talent for your firm. We're talking about should you be developing yourself, listeners, as you want to expand your career. Be sure to check out next week's podcast. Tune in for it because the interview with Tony Kaiko is awesome. You're going to love it. Special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, CMLA, The Lenders One, Accelerate, Mobility MMI, Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Group, and Mortgage Collaborative. And soon coming in is SnapDocs. Very excited about all of this. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.